Hello, my subjects. Uh, this is LD the man, uh, the first of his name, king of the Andals, the Rhinor, and the first men, lord of the seven kingdoms, and protector of the realm. Joining me, as always, is uh, Lord Michael, the master of whispers. Mikey, what do your little birds bring you whispers of tonight? All right, so my little birds have us uh, getting back to uh, Catelyn Stark. Mm. And uh, then we're going to dive into Arya and Bran's first chapters as mm. the uh, as the point of view. So those are those are some fun ones. Bran's second, I think he was uh, he was. Uh, oh, that's right. Bran was first, the first though, chapter. Yeah. Yep. Arya's which is, first. Which is funny enough, because I think uh, me and you both in episode two said that we were wrong in episode one to say Arya was uh, younger than Bran. And I think the way we both realized that was cousin Aria one. She goes like, well, Bran's seven and I'm nine. So a putt, putt. Yep, yep. you know? Clears that up for us. Yeah. 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 And I remember being like, Ooh, I remember specifically saying the opposite of that, but um, yep. all right, let's just uh, jump in with a summary here. I think this is going to be a pretty chilled and relaxed, you know, a bit of a low key episode of a pod nice and fire because this is some low back episodes or uh, chapters. I mean, you know, uh, you know, until kind of the end of them. Uh, the very end, end. Bran is a little rowdy. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I I always view this. People are like hanging out. You know, we have Catelyn Stark receives a secret message from her sister while in her bedchambers with her husband Ned Stark. Arya Stark, their youngest child or their youngest daughter, has a bad sewing lesson and runs off to watch the boys training in the courtyard, joining Jon Snow and observing. Uh, Bran Stark is climbing around Winterfell one last time before traveling south. He accidentally catches the queen and her brother having sex and is pushed out of a tower window. So right there, you kind of see what I'm talking about. Like we had some people hanging out, the bed chambers escalates very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and then all of a sudden, a child is being launched. And you know, obviously, uh, not to not to start with the the lead here. I feel like in the book compared to the TV show, which doesn't make sense, it really hits me more that a child was thrown out of a window. Uh, it's pretty outrageous. Yeah, yeah, no, it yeah. Is. <laughs> It's well, it's funny, and and I guess we'll get to talking to this chapter later. But I just can't stop with this line because they they pull it right into the show too. Mm -hmm. It's Jamie's line when he does it, and it's just oh, yeah. like a beautiful, poetic. The things I do for love, as he mm -hmm. throws a child out of a window. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's really d it shows how crazy he is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's because you're used to the things you read potentially being real. You know, like maybe you're reading a history book or a biography. Whereas when you're watching TV, you're used to people dying. When I read him falling out of a wall, I'm like, oh my God. You know what I mean? It catches in your breath. But you know, let's let's reel this well, back. And let's... it seems it seems like so much more like like a maniac thing to do. Because mm -hmm. he like does it with a smile in the show. Yeah. And it's just kind of lighthearted almost. And in the book, it's just like you're just like, huh. Guess I gotta throw him out of a window and just oh, does it. Goodness. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's let's reel this back. Let's go into the bed chambers. Uh, Catelyn two, one of my all time favorite chapters in these books. Uh, any I, all of them for I know for purely perverted reason. Um, let's set the stage a little bit. Tonight was, was must a we? Yes, yes. Tonight was a feast. The king and the queen, the royal party, was there for for you know Catelyn Stark. Uh, uh, Michael, she's she's used to Southern, you know, traditions and parties. She's she, you know, she's used to like the harps and the drinking and the fun up north. I imagine I don't imagine Ed Stark's throwing many many raucous harvest feasts, you know. 
I wouldn't think so. I imagine his feasts have a hard feeling of like duty throughout them, you know, like tradition, family. Uh, you, you're in your cups a little bit. What are you going to do? You're Remember, as we've specified before, this is a much younger Ned and, and Catelyn. The uh, thralls of youthful passions still are ensnaring them. <clears throat> still very virile. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I want to do justice to what Mr. Mr. R. R. Martin himself wrote. Um, the winds swirled around him as he stood facing the dark, naked and empty-handed. Catelyn pulled the furs to her chin and watched him. He looked somewhat smaller and more vulnerable. I'm sure a certain part of him certainly looked smaller and more vulnerable now that they were done. My like goodness. the youth she had wed in the Sept at River Run, 15 long years gone. <clears throat> her loins still ached from the urgency of his lovemaking. It was a good ache. She could feel his seed within her. She prayed that it might quicken, quicken there. It had been three years since Rickon. She was not too old. She could give him another son. Ladies and gentlemen, Ned and Ned and Catelyn were just doing it up in in the northern uh, most bedchamber of uh, the the king the the lord's bedchamber, I suppose. Uh, I imagine you wouldn't call this it is a her. Chamber. This is her bedchambers. I guess yeah. they have separate bedchambers because they do specify that it's mm -hmm. like her bedchambers. Um, I promised I would allow you to rant on this for one minute because yeah. I do know that you love love this part because it is just ridiculous it, it just right? hits you like you know game of thrones as an entity is known for tits and dragons like that's what people say you know violence sure and, and sex. Yep. you really didn't get you know before this you know may you know i think robert baratheon has that line down in the in the um down in the crypts where he's like you know all oh, the women during summer the 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 gowns uh stick to them they may as well be naked you're not getting to like a woman narrating her post sexual feeling do you think george asked his wife like you know hey honey like what's it like laying in the afterglow do you, do you ever hope that my seed quickens honey <laughs> is that something i should put on paper now now mayhaps <laughs> uh, to get something a bit more interested to this right before that when we're introduced to the chapter winterfell's got a very interesting uh 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 you know Geolo you know, ge not geography, ge geology to it with the way these hot springs uh, work with the walls. So that was that was something I had down that I wanted to show. The technology mm -hmm. of Catlin's walls are pretty uh, pretty advanced. So they're they say uh, Winterfell's built over a hot spring, and I guess where her chambers are situated uh, gets the best benefit from that. They say water, like hot water is rushing through the walls, which I don't really know how they made work in this time of no plumbing. Yeah. I was uh, about to say they don't have pipes. Yeah. So I don't really know exactly how they, they don't really go into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it is a cool, it is a cool system. It's a cool, like she says, like the walls are warm to the touch all the time, which sounds very pleasant to me. Yeah. Uh, and really feeds into, like she says, even with this, like, I am not built for the cold. Like, all these Northerners, no problem. Me, I'm in my heated room, my my sauna of a room, and still too much. But still, Ned's going over to the window after they bang, throwing open the window, yeah. hanging dong in front of, like, a, a windy, like, night. To cool off. But, you know, yeah. it it is, 
It is interesting, you know, she does say, like, it's the difference between life and death uh, uh, during the winter, you know, uh, being built up these hot springs and all that. Do have to say, like, that's got to, that's like a nice little flex by the Starks of, like, you know, hard home, or not hard home, I'm sorry, the last hearth, you know, uh, the Dreadfort. They don't moat Caelan, they don't have heated walls, you know, that's that's why they're the Lord Paramount, that's why they were the kings of winter, they They've got this, this, I, I like how it's described. They say that uh, like the hot water flows through the walls, like blood through a man. Again, I, I'm not sure. It's like a living, it's like a living thing, the uh, mm-hmm. winter fell. And actually yeah. they do describe it a little later during Bran's chapter as like a living thing. I think Master Lewin describes it as like a growing tree, like its branches are spreading out. Like when he's talking about how it's like getting, you know, mm-hmm. renovations and things added to it. Cause it is such an old yeah uh, castle which is even crazier that they have this they figured out how to put like hot spring water through the walls i uh, don't mayhaps brand the builder and his magic uh, had something to do with such things but i will tell you like that is that is what separates the starks from a lot of these other houses is the starks are according to george r, r. martin like ten thousand years old which almost doesn't even make sense in the yeah. like, time frame he laid out but you know, um, they are the ancient kings of winter. Uh, Ned and Ned and Catelyn, after their sex, they uh, after the loin lovemaking, they start talking about the offer from Robert Baratheon. You know, he he is officially at this point offered uh, Ned the the hand of the king position. Ned said he had to talk to his wife. Ned's here talking to his wife about it. And Catelyn is that like it seemed like Ned, you know, was like, oh, let me talk to my wife, being like, eh, you know, she's not going to let me do that. She seems yeah, of course. For it. Which is weird because like she like doesn't want him to do it, but it's like you have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like that is like kind of the she's basically I and I guess her reasoning kind of is that uh basically he's not asking you, Ned. Mm-hmm. He's telling you he is the king. Like you can't say no or like bad things. And you know what I, I mean? Yeah, and I and you know, whether obviously uh, us living in a modern society, we sort of know that this isn't true, but I do think that um I, I like, you know, uh kind of the way they talk about, oh, he's a king. Like like it reminds me a little bit of uh in Daenerys One, the way uh Ilya Mopez uh kind of placates uh Viserys, like uh Catelyn Cincinnati's she's like, Oh, he's a king. Like kings are not normal men, like he will not hear no and have it you know what i'm saying right he doesn't understand reasoning he just mm-hmm. wants to get his way he's I the think king she she kind of specifically says like oh well you know he'll if you say no he's going to wonder why and within a little bit of time why is going to turn into you know uh, D- uh distrust oh, yeah distrust they're going to betray me and she even says that's another part that kind of goes back to the whole kings are different thing is she specifically says um oh, well, you knew the man, like, you don't know the king. Like, he's he's different now. It's right, like, like it's a different person. Yeah, as if he's a whole and, and that, that that circles back to uh, Bran, Bran 1 when he says, like, he turned from, from father into Ned Stark, Lord of Winterfell. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there are the two sides of it. And, and Robert has turned from Ned's friend, who, again, he hasn't seen in, like, seven years or something into the king who's now a different man with different responsibilities and used to a different life so uh yeah there is no really refusing him and and again this shows ned's northern like oh you know i Mm. i don't want this honor and she's like it's not a fucking honor she's like he's telling you to do this Mm -hmm. so you gotta do it it's not like a like an asking thing Mm -hmm. you know 
and she's also, you know, she's a little bit of like a, a private school mom where she's like, oh, like what a, a man and Sansa gets to be queen. Like, you know, she's a little happy about that. Um, something else that I really like on a serious note that they bring up here and is talked about is uh, the, you know, the elephant in the room, the Brandon Stark of it all. And I'm not talking about Bran. I'm talking about Ned's older brother was supposed to be who Catelyn married originally. You know, he I think that's something uh, again, obviously, they they don't have a ton of time with Ned Stark in the books the way we have in or I mean, in the show with the way we do in the books where you get all this backstory, all the all the you know depth of reading. But, you know, that's such an interesting part of Ned's character. And it's something that he mentions, you know, towards the end of this novel when he's in the dungeons and he's talking to Varys is Ned was not raised to be a lord. You know, as much as the Starks aren't a power power hungry bunch for the most part and the North is different from the South, Ned in particular, you know, he never was raised and taught, you know, how a lord is supposed to be. He was raised to be a soldier. You know, he, he basically... His older brother dies, gets murdered by the Mad King. Ned takes over. Bam, Robert's Rebellion, like, it's happening. You know, so Ned, it, it's kind of like a George Washington thing. George Washington famously didn't really want to be the president of the United States. Uh, but, you know, he was the leader. He became the leader through the, the course of the Revolutionary War. Similarly, I don't think Ned, you know, ever really wanted to be uh, the Lord of Winterfell, clearly. And he kind of got thrust into the role and matured into it by force of nature through the war. And you can see almost uh, like a, um, you know, like a uh, like some of his self his self consciousness in this, which is like something you really don't see with Ned a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it's on page fifty. Uh, he said he says that brought a bitter taste to Ned's mouth. Brandon, yes, Brandon would know what to do. He always did. It was all meant for Brandon. You Winterfell, everything. He was born to be a king's hand and a father to queens. I never asked for this cup to pass to me. So like. You can see he's like he's like questioning himself and and like again this is a guy Brandon who had died at what like less than twenty years old or something yeah uh, fighting the same team. war mm-hmm. right so uh, so he's like oh this is all like assuming he's like oh Brandon would be so much better than this it's like Ned you're like fifteen years older than Brandon ever lived yeah, to be yeah. you know what I mean mm-hmm. you fought through so, uh, rebellion and the Greyjoy rebellion like Brandon yeah. again you know. Like I said, he, he may have been taught to lead. He never really was forced to yet. And yeah, and then they do they mention real quick that how when when Brandon died, uh, Ned married uh, Catelyn, who was betrothed to to Brandon as is tradition, which is always mm-hmm. I always did wonder that. Like watching the show, I'm like, how did like Ned end up marrying mm-hmm. the person his brand his brother was supposed to marry? And I guess like that in in this world is like the tradition. Oh, if you're betrothed to the brother, he dies. You get the next one. It's definitely something, you know, uh, uh, the Tullys and the Starks were trying to make a uh, uh, line. They wanted to join the, the families. Yeah. Yep. And on top of that, they're both very, um, you know, they're equal. Yeah, not totally equal, but, you know, they're on equal playing field. They're both great houses. And also, like Ned and Brandon, both equal level of guys. You know, if, they, if you're betrothed to a Jamie, Jamie dies and suddenly you're stuck with Tyrion, might not happen that way. You know, there's a little bit different. With honor, yeah, and whatnot. But uh, what I do think is interesting, and, you know, this is something we've seen a lot through the first season of House of the Dragons, actually, is a big part of, you know, these medieval story uh, uh, type stories and society is that idea of second sons. They have nothing to inherit. It's all based on what mm-hmm. what the older brother gives to them. Ned would have been a great second son. 
Ned just wants duty and responsibility. And, you know, like, like he's not, he's a very, you know, mellow guy. He's not very, uh, he's not aspiring for all this, this power. He's not envious of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny that he got forced to be into the position of a a first son, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So then we get a knock at the door. And Ned's pretty like, you know, knocking at the door. I'm, I'm knocking at my wife's door. I don't need a, you know, this going on here. Who is it? And and it's like, I, I love, I think his name is Desmond. I love how all the guards have names. Because it's like, Desmond says, no explanation as to who Desmond is. I'm just immediately like, oh, it's Desmond. No one cares about Desmond. Never yeah. hear from him again. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then he just goes, um... You know, oh, it's Master Lewin. And Ned's like, oh, did you tell him that I, I was to be left alone? And it's like, yes, he he insisted. So Lewin comes in. Let me set this question for you, Michael. Is Ned, like, dumb or did Lewin need to get to the point here? Because they make Ned throughout, like, the second half of this chapter specifically very, like, impatient and stubborn and be like, I have no time for your riddles. Spit it out, sir. Well, okay. Okay, so here's the thing. So Lewin does come in and he's like, mm-hmm. I received a box. And Ned's like, okay. So it's like, all right, I get the point. Like he couldn't. So so basically what happens is someone leaves a like mysterious, like ornate carved box mm-hmm. outside of like Lewin's chambers or something. While he in was it, napping. He finds, while he was napping, as old people do. Mm-hmm. In it, he finds uh, like a really nicely crafted lens, which I guess is probably like a rare item at this From time. From lies expensive. across the yes. narrow sea. Right. So, uh, yeah. So it's like a, it might uh, be pronounced least. Yeah, least. I think it's least. So it's, yeah. uh, it's like a rare expensive item or whatever. So it's like, uh, it's like pretty nice for the observatory. I'll look at stars. And then, uh, but underneath that, he, like, finds a secret message. So, like, maesters are chill as hell. Like, they, they know all these secrets and stuff. Well, well, Mikey, the lens also, as Catelyn points out, I love the way they, like, break this down in front of you. He's like, explain the story. And Ned's just like, oh, what's that supposed to mean? And that Catelyn's like, is a lens not something used to see something better? What must we be seeing better? And then Lewin goes like, yeah, indeed. It's and a ridiculous was, riddle. He goes like, there was a hidden bottom that had a message inside of it. And Ned goes like, all right, hand me the message now. And then Lewin's like, it's not for you, sire. It is for your lady wife. Catelyn. Yeah, of course. Um, so Catelyn opens it up and she's mm-hmm. like, all right, so this is from Liza, written in a language we invented when we were children. So everyone's just trying to make Ned seem dumb right now. M- Mikey, let me hit you with this. Hold on. I have a sidebar. I have a lot to talk about this secret language. Notice that it's not said a code we invented as a child. It's not like, you know, normal. It's a language. So, like, did she open up this letter and it said, like, skippily doo bop bippity bee? And she's like, I oh, have. This- Right. I have thought about I was I was thinking about the language the entire time I was reading the next two chapters. I was like, what could that mean? Like what, what do you mean you made a language as children? Spoiler alert, we meet Liza later. She ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. So what kind of no. language should could she have been part of inventing as a child? You know, and again, uh, the the letter says, like, you know, the land or John Aaron didn't die, he was murdered by the queen. Like what right. So it is important information. I understand why you would want to code that. Mm -hmm. I'm just a little caught up on how children invented a hidden language. Um, Uh, Regardless, 
So she burns the yeah, she burns. She's immediately building a fire. And Ned's like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, I'm burning this shit. Mm-hmm. Just burns burns the message. She like, she's like, this is critical. She's like, yeah. you more than ever have to go become Hand of the King because it is dangerous, man. The, and Ned's like, opposite. that seems illogical. Well, yeah, and, Ned's and like, that, that seems like a bad idea. And Maester Lewin is like, aye, sire, I Like, if, if the king is to be saved and these crooks brought to the king's justice, you must be the one to do it. Dude, if I'm Maester Lewin and I fuck with Ned Stark, I'm like, hey, sire, listen to me. That, that sounds like a bad idea. King gets murdered. Yeah. You're going to be, I'd want to be 3,000 miles away. You know, so you know that there's a murderer on the loose that killed the hand of the king, and you're like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that guy's job. What? Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the thing too. She's like, you got to go and protect Robert, your mm-hmm. your friend. And and first of all, Catelyn like does not like Robert. Yeah. So that was like that was like a weird. I I think it was more of like I guess well because the hand of the king was her sister's husband. Mm-hmm. So is it more of a you got to get? She doesn't like the Lannister, so it's like. You got to get to the bottom of this and, and uncover the Lannister. She's using that to like well, to like get the Lannisters caught. Do you know what I think part of it is? Is I think part of it is, as we know, A Song of Ice and Fire is very much supposed to be somewhat of like a parody uh, of or a satire of like classic fantasy. You know, the by all means, like Prince Charming doesn't just get to win and kiss the princess. You know, right. a lot of it's like upturning a lot of those expectations. So I think, you know, Maester Lewin is supposed to sound like the start of a quest. It goes like... um. You know, it's like it's like he literally says to him, he's like, Sire, if someone is to find the king's murderers and bring them to justice, it shall be you who must do it. And it's like right. and it's really it, it's really like we said in the first in, in the first episode we did, it really at the beginning sets it up like the Starks and Ned specifically mm-hmm. are like the main characters, the mm-hmm. hero of the whole thing. And and you know, we talk about how so many more characters get introduced and that isn't necessarily the case. And uh but like this feeds into that. It's like you have to go and uncover this this injustice and and bring it to the king, and then he'll believe you because he's your friend. And then we'll beat the Lannisters, and everyone will be happy. Now, and like that's what it said, sounds like, and it is just like turns into like a death march for the Starks. Yeah. Oh boy. Now before we uh, get into the dividing of the children, um, there is one thing I need to talk about with Ma- Maester Lewin, uh, and that is he is described as having these sleeves. That have like pockets inside of them. And and like it's like, oh, he he just pops his hands into those sleeves and he can come out with like a potion, a toy. At one point it says a book. How is he fitting? Yeah, how big are these? How it is seems he like hiding? a heavy like garment? Yeah, and like granted, Catelyn says like it's a wonder he can even lift his arms. forget about even the garment itself. What's the size of this pocket that can both keep something small, secure, but keep something as big as a book inside of it? Also, who needs to like whip out a book? You know? I was curious, number one, why he's not just carrying a bag with him. And number two, what direction are these pockets like sewed in that like when he's moving his arms, things aren't just like falling out of his his clothes all the time? It's like you could have a toy for a child or like an ointment or a book. Like, bro, just be like, oh, Ned, you, you need the dictionary? It's back in my chambers. I'll be right back. You don't need that strapped to you, my guy. Yeah, yeah. I got the dictionary for uh, Liza and Catelyn's secret language if you need that, <laughs> if you feel a little dumb right now. Because you know you know that lens is going right in one of those sleeve pockets as well. Oh, yeah, dude. That's 
uh, that lens. <laughs> and that's part of it. Is it's like uh, like Ned. I think that's when he gets mad at, at Lewin. Is when Lewin's like he's like, well, what was in the box? That was like because they they do a great job of being like, look, sir, somebody left a box for me. It had to be a foreigner. No one saw who it was. So this is a big mystery. He's like, all right, what was in the box? And he just goes, oh, a lens. Yeah. Why didn't he say a yeah, lens? Yeah, they're like, what's in the box? Why didn't he hit a, a yeah, lens exactly. and a secret Start message? with the important thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a lens, but a secret message, more importantly. He's just like waiting to see if he deduces that. Um, right. this- well, so this is the one point I do want to make before we move on to the children is this, mm-hmm. this is where you first do see that uh, – like how much the maesters are relied upon, not only mm-hmm. for like they're like they're doctors, they're like counsel, they're historians, they're like teachers for their children. Yep. Like the maesters really kind of like run the show in a lot of big these settings. And every everyone has a maester. Yeah. Like every every big family or whatever lord has a maester. They have a ton of influence. Even just like stuff as simple as, you know. If it's unseasonably warm one summer in the in the north, none of these people have ever seen it that hot. A maester's like, oh, I studied down south, like I know something about heat. You know what I mean? The, that we got to do this yeah. for the crops now. Like they water water your crops a little more. Yeah, yeah like yeah, they like know everything. Don't know anything from what they know. They're you just know? like encyclopedias. The they, and they like bridge the generations really well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, your lord father yeah. did this because because they're never in any danger. They're just like hanging out. You know. Um, no one wants to kill a maester. Yeah. So at this point, Ned starts to cry. Um, and he says that, uh, uh, you know, all right, I'm going to go south. And he goes, like, and he, so the first words out of his mouth is he's like, Catelyn, you'll stay here. And it's like, immediately she's like, no, is this to be my punishment? It's like, well, this is what you wanted. Like, what do you, do you think you guys are just going to yeah. abandon Winterfell? Like what? Yeah. Oh, Bran's going to rule Winterfell while yeah. we're gone. Yeah, yeah. So then she's like, is this to be my punishment? She's like immediately shook about it. And he goes like, Rob will be here. Like, he is my heir. Like, he's the oldest of the kids. He needs me the least. Like, you know, he can learn. You and him are going to be ruined together. Going to be great. You know, that that's going to be like you two and Lewin. Yeah. Chilling, yeah. making decisions. Like, that's mm-hmm. basically what he says. He's like, Rob's a little too young now. Mm-hmm. I need you to, like, pretty much make the decisions and, like, teach Rob. And like in a couple of years, he's going to be a man grown. Lewin hits a great classic line where he's like, "Gods be good." It will be a long time till Rob needs to be ready. Um, yeah, of course. To wish Ned a long life, but then he's like, "He's like, I shall take the girls with me." And classic mom one on one. She's immediately like, "Oh, girl, I don't give a shit about those two. Like, you know, take them." Like she's like, she's like, "Ah, Sansa shall shine down in a." Uh, uh, a Southron court, but but Arya, it will be difficult for her. And then he's like, and not I'm gonna... so much Arya, yeah. And then he's like, and I'm gonna bring Bran, and she's like, no, no, not my Bran. And it's like, have a little more of a clear favorite, you know? Right? Yeah, I, you can have. He's like, you can have Rickon. Rickon. He'll be annoying down there. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't uh, even care he's about a Rickon. baby. She doesn't Rickon even... doesn't even really get mentioned. She's she's literally yeah. She's like, all right, Rick Rickon's like you know the 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 coleslaw that comes with your fast food order for free, and you don't eat coleslaw, so you just give it to someone else. You know, all right, I'll have Rickon, you know. And then yeah, he's a throw-in. He's like, all right, well, they're as they're like trading children. He's like, well, you get you can have Rickon. I'll throw in Rickon and a second round pick. Not Bran, not my sweet sweet Bran. And it's like. I'm sure Rickon's going to be sweet too. Like, what's he a bully? Like, just hang out with him, you know. Um, so well, look here, and and a little foreshadowing that Catelyn gets what she wants, and she gets to keep Bran. 
Yeah. Um, and but a little foreshadow or a little spoiler into the foreshadowing, she then just fucking leaves Bran. Um Yeah, exactly. But, right. Uh, but you know, so then like twice. Yeah. She leaves twice. <laughs> and then um and then Jon Snow or then Jon Snow comes up. Um, I believe it's first Lewin who says, like, what of the boy Jon Snow? And then Catelyn immediately is like, I will not have him. Take him far from here. He is your son, not mine. And Ned's like, but, yeah, but is... I was to hope. But but I could, I, I was thinking. And, like, he doesn't even get his idea out. I do want to say this. Ned says a line where he's like, there would be absolutely no place for him in court. I strongly disagree. And and there's there are, I can name you tons, tons of Targaryen bastards uh, throughout the years that have served the Iron Throne, uh, namely a little guy named Blood Raven, who you already know of as the one-eyed crow. Like, like there are bastards in King's Landing. Now you're telling me you're telling there's tons of bastards in King's Landing. Yeah, you're telling you, me they couldn't at least at least get him onto the city watch. That's what Mikey, a gold cloak, or he's just a member of Ned's household guard at the very least. Like you remember Rory, yeah. the guy who gets you, you protect know, dad. Yeah, yeah, you're walking like like he's like there would be no he'd be shunned. He'd be no Ned, you'd have been a little shunned, but not even really. People would have just been like, Oh, that's Ned Stark's bastard, which would have annoyed you because you, you have all that honor. But like no one would have cared about him. That would have been a perfect place for him. Perfect. Yeah. Honestly. And now, he like, does he, he does make the case. He does make the case mm-hmm. that like the Lannister woman talking about Cersei would have no part of it. So like well, maybe like, that's a point. Like but like but what again it, she has no of Robert's bastards because it's her husband. She doesn't care. Like bastards are a part of society back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like, like, sure. like they, I just think this idea that like Cersei Lannister is even going to care about it. How about that? Like, like, I don't know. What's she going to be like? Again, like he's not going to be, no one's talking about making John on the King's guard. No one's talking about making him master of ships. We're talking about, you know, he's a little police officer walking around. Uh, Hanging the- out. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Cersei Lannister would have been. Yeah, I think she's got other things on her mind, as we're gonna find out soon enough. Um, but yeah, eventually, you know, uh, Lewin's like, I-, I have heard that John has requested joining of the Night's Watch, and you know, we get this whole like, but he's a boy of fourteen. Like, I, I do like that Lewin. Just yeah, goes, and Catelyn's like, he's going. Yeah, he's going. I love that. Honor, I- sure, sounds good. I love that Maester Lewin goes like, I, it will be hard. It's like, yeah, that's putting it mildly, bub. Um, and I like how Ned's like, there's room for a, for a man in the Night's Watch to ascend. It's like, to it's what? Like, hmm, this, this, maybe this is good. Yeah, ascend, ascend to uh, to still being really cold and miserable all the time. It was, it's funny because Catelyn's like, ah, yes, this will be nice. Benjamin's never had a son. He can't have a son. John will be like a son to him. Yeah, and then and he'll never have any And son. Ned's just like, ah, Ah, yes, this is clearly not for her own uh, gain. Yes, no, this makes sense. <laughs> Dude, it's like, again, like if you, I know John isn't exactly given a choice, although I think he would have taken the Night's Watch anyway. If you said to me, like, Lucas, you're a bastard, you can either come to Sunny King's Landing, you know, drop the name of the Hand of the King at every whorehouse on the Silk Road, or you got to go to the Night's Watch We have to swear off women for the rest of your life and freeze to death. I'm like, huh. I think I got a hell of an idea here. I'm going south. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
man. So, uh, so that pretty much, so it pretty much wraps up with them deciding John's going to the Night's Watch. Uh, mm. Ned and the girls and Bran are supposed to be heading uh, south. south. And, um, and then and uh, Rob. Rob and Rickon are staying with uh, Catelyn in Winterfell. That's like what's decided. They're like, it's going to take about two weeks for us to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll Let's tell Jon Snow later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jon Snow is like enjoy a... a couple weeks. He's never enjoying anything. Yeah, he's like a boy in like the 1930s about the, that, that with World War II looming over his head. It's like, let him have one last two weeks of being a kid. Kid doing what? It's Winterfell. Yeah, exactly. He's hanging out, not being allowed to do things. Like that's that's like his life. He's slightly so, uh, warmer. Slightly warmer. Yes. So, all right. So let's move on to Arya One. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. So Arya One. So uh, we get introduced to Arya for the first time as um, like a narrator, um, and so she is with the rest of the girls in Winterfell practicing their needlework, mm-hmm. uh, and she what? sucks at it. Yeah, it's like what, so. This we, is where we start. Well, what is this needlework they're doing? Are they like sewing pictures or like stitching I, pants? I think they're just practicing sewing things. Which you know, it is one. I forget what they're what they're calling it because I know they say like, oh, what an honor it was for Septum. The Septum's a bitch. We'll we'll get to her in a minute. But um, it's called like oh, the horrible woman, lady. It's like the classes in the womanly arts or something. It's like something out of it is fun. the womanly arts. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. a ridiculous term. I mean, I will say this, that is, you know, kind of, the, somebody's got to be able to, to, you know, fix a hole in a pair of pants uh, uh, in this society. Listen, you know what I'm saying? Like, sewing very useful, but it seems like they get, like, she gets very angry at Arya for being bad at it. Mm-hmm. Which is like, um, she's a child. Calm down. Right. So, That's, yeah. so, so Arya's there being bad at this. Sansa's hanging with her friends, doing it really well. And so this is where you first see that Arya's like a little bit jealous that, Sansa's great at everything. Uh, Which I think Arya stinks at most things. And I think that's a very that womanly. That's a very key distinction from the show. And I don't bemoan the show for not exactly hitting this because it's much easier to do when you have that. Uh, you know, you can just write somebody's thoughts like in a in a book. But Arya isn't just like you know, girls are stupid in the book. It's like I suck at this stuff, and that makes me angry. You know what I mean? Like she, she would love. Yeah, it's like kind of sad because she's yeah. like getting made fun of by her older sister and her older sister's friends just for like not being good at like sewing. Sister. Yeah, yeah, like right. that's a key power dynamic there. Um, and they call her. I thought this was kind of funny and also really mean. They call her Arya Horseface because she has like the long face of Ned Stark, and ever all the other kids look like a Tully except mm-hmm. for her and John. So she she has like a long face, like and and. Jane Poole calls her uh, Arya, Arya Horseface, and she's like, and it's even worse because the only thing I'm better than Sansa at is riding horses. <laughs> so, like, the only thing she can take solace in is that she's good at riding horses, and she gets reminded uh, that she's like not as pretty as Sansa by like calling her Horseface, bringing up the only thing she's good at and ruining it for her. Mm-hmm. And there's just some some great. It's just Arya. It's always like a little bit of a mini Seinfeld episode because Arya's making all these little observations about like the lot she's in, like how these, you know, there's there's Jenny uh, Poole or Jane Poole, who is like Sansa's best friend, Kettlemaster's daughter, similar age. Then there's Beth Castle, who's uh, Sir Roderick's daughter, who's like even smaller. And again, 
Sansa is this pretty girly girl, like princess. She's, you know, the lady of Winterfell or like the heir on the female side. She's going to get the best match out of any of Ned's, you know, female, you know, out of the two of them. Now she's been promised to the prince. So, you know, these two are trying to impress her. Also, Princess Marcella's there, who's like very young to the point where she doesn't even fully like get stuff. She's just trying to do her best. But meanwhile, we got uh, Septon Mordain, who's just like, She's like trying to impress the six-year-old princess girl. And meanwhile, yeah. she's just she's just bullying Arya. Like, hey, like have something else going on in your life. I know it's boring up north. Have something else going on in your life where you're not getting off on being mean to a little girl. Right. Uh, like a royal little girl, too. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Like yeah. Arya should have authority over her to an extent. You know, well, it's it's interesting that you that you made the point that like Arya is making these like little observations and stuff, because I thought that like reading that I was like, this is like and you see later in the chapter where she meets up with John. This is like a connection to Jon Snow. Like she's she's very similar to John in that mm-hmm. in that sense where like she feels like she's not really fitting in with the family and she's like constantly watching and always vigilant and like making a lot of um, interesting observations and like, you know. She has an she has a good relationship with Jon Snow, just like we saw Bran did, and uh, she like looks up to him, and you can see that it's like again from a younger child's perspective. She even says in the chapter at one point, she's like, "I reflected at that point that like life is not fair," mm-hmm. and it's like, and it's like, yeah, like good observation, nine year old child. Um, so and then she she observes know, it again. I, she says uh, later in that chapter for when Jon's not allowed to fight too. She says that's the second time today. That's that that's played. the that's the uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's like a weird comparison between her because she's actually like a true-born daughter, but she's like mm-hmm. kind of buried as like the fourth child and like Second not good daughter. at the stuff she's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah she's mm-hmm. not good at what she's supposed to be good at. And she's just like kind of relates to John in, in sense of like, you know, so after so she runs away because mm-hmm. she's getting made fun of and everything. She runs away. She's like, I'm going to go watch the boys practice sword fighting. Finds John also watching. She's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm only only trueborn sons are allowed to practice with a prince. So he's mm-hmm. he's there feeling left out. So they're kind of like two peas in a pod just hanging out, both wanting to be down there fighting with swords and both not being allowed to for different reasons. And um, you know, Arya goes over to the to the courtyard where the boys are fighting also because she says that if she goes to her room, she knows that's where her mother's gonna look uh, when Septa Mundane uh Mardane tells her that uh, you know, Arya had a bad lesson, but uh, immediately when Arya gets there, uh, Bran is fighting uh, Prince to- uh, Tommen, which, by the way, is a great shot. Poor Prince Tommen took a little bit of a stray from Arya in, like, the first page of Arya's chapter. And she's oh, like, yeah. She goes, like, Sansa got to sit next to the crown prince who's tall and handsome. I had to sit next to the little fat one, of course. Um, oh, my favorite my favorite part about when she was doing that is she's like, she's like, I even saw the, the queen's funny little brother. Mm-hmm. This is like describing Tyrion, like oh, yeah. the tiny little weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe he was uh, flipping on top of a gargoyle perch uh, when she saw him. Landing on his hands, yeah. And then um, Bran and uh, Tom and are fighting when Arya gets over there. And both of them are like, it's very funny because like, I can't imagine, like I imagine them wrapped in bubble wrap. It said that they're like completely stuffed, that it looks like they have a bed strapped to them and they have these yeah. swords and they're just smacking each other. And uh, then I kind of got to give, I hate to do it, man. I really do. I think I got to give Joffrey some credit here. Like Rob. I got the same note. 
dude, Rob, no, dude. Rob beat him where it counts, but like yo, Joff, Joff knows how to single one liner. Like he's, oh, and, and dude, <laughs> Rob, Rob fell for the bait, man. He yeah. got Rob embarrassed. He got him mad. He got all the older, like, it doesn't help that you have laughing the, at him. It doesn't help that you have the hound there. It was just like, oh, I killed yeah. a man when I was 11. Let the, let the crown prince and the crown lord of Winterfell right. fight with live steel. It's, it's so funny because Joffrey's saying this and like, it's like, it's been said that like Rob was kind of kicking Joffrey's ass and he's like, I'll fight with real steel mm-hmm. knowing that like he wasn't like Joffrey definitely knew that that was not going to happen. Yeah. And like, that's why he said it. And he's talking all this smack and he doesn't have to back it up. And everyone's laughing at Rob now. And he's gay. He's like getting points when like, he definitely would not back any of this shit up, but like, <laughs> I agree. Got to give it to him. Dude, not only that, but he's like, Tommen, like, let's leave these baby Starks alone. Tommen just got beat so bad, it said that he looked like a turtle stuck on his back by Bran. Yeah, it couldn't get up. Yeah, and and meanwhile, Stinking Joff is like, like, hey, Tommen, like, let's blow this popsicle stand. These these busters are beneath us. Like, what are we talking about? Right, right. So so Joffrey, to go into that a little more, Joffrey's, uh, they're, you know, they're doing the same thing. They're kind of fighting with like wood swords and like some padding and stuff. I imagine and he's a like, lot he's... less padding. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, and uh, so Roderick's like, do you guys want to go again after Toman and, uh, and Bran are done? And Rob's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Like he mm-hmm. wants to prove himself, like beat up on Joffrey a little more. And he, and Joffrey's like, only if we're doing real swords. And Roderick's like, hell no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joffrey then goes on this tirade like, oh, what are you scared? Like, I'd use a real steel right now. No yeah, padding. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's go. And it's like, no, you wouldn't. But also, and, jo- and, uh, uh, Rob gets all worked up about it. And, and Rob is And looks older, like a child. And Rob is older than Joffrey. So Joffrey's playing this game where first he points out how Rob's like older than him to make it be like, yeah. oh, you're beating up on a kid. And then a minute later, he's like, you're not even allowed to use real steel, you baby. You know what I mean? He really. Right, exactly. He, he's playing like ping pong with uh, Rob Stark's brain there. It's a very bad showing for our guy, you know? It, it it's a it's a it's a sour moment for uh for rob stark who we do both love and 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 really i do i agree man i was reading it i'm like damn dude i'm gonna have to talk about how joffrey fucking got him in this I, yeah i um do you know something that they bring attention to towards the end of this chapter um that i always found interesting in the show uh is that joffrey which is very just like bad once the accusations come out how he has the double banner of baratheon and lannister side by side like i always thought that was sus as hell hey i love when rob's like how weird is that and like Arya's like the woman's house is important too and then they talk about Uh, john uh, yeah yeah they talk about there being a um a wolf a banner of a wolf carrying a trout in its mouth but um i this was like why like if you want to seem like a Baratheon dude, just use the crown stag, a house Baratheon. Like no kidding. Everybody thinks you're a Lannister. <laughs> so I was thinking the same thing. And it's, it's really prevalent in the show too. Cause he's not only is it like, it's like a split. So they describe it as like, he has a, like a half and half sigil where it's like half, the lion on one side and the, and the crown stag on the other showing his two parentage. But like, even in the show, it's, it's shown even more where like everything he wears is like red and gold. Like he yeah. is very clearly, like he is very clearly the Lannister side. That is what he is all about. And like, that is what the family is all about. And it's like so obvious to the point where it's like, how, how is there not way more distrust in the Lannisters? Like they clearly are all about furthering their family, their, you know, whatever. It's like in the 19th, everything. 
it's like in the 1980s when the U.S. government would just like take out a government in you know South America and put up their own regime and be like, no, no, people elected them. What do you mean? Like, like this is just the Lannisters being like, no, Joff Baratheon. What are you talking about? Yeah, oh, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. One more. One more thing I got to at the end oh, of this ahead. chapter that, that that I thought was a little weird that um. So at the end, uh. You know, John and Arya are splitting up, and Ghost is Ghost is walking away with John. And uh, I forget what chapter it was, also in this, but I did want to bring up the point that John's uh, John's wolf bigger. Ghost is described is is bigger now, and in the chapter. show, yeah, and in the show, uh, when they find Ghost, when Theon finds Ghost and gives it to John, he's like, "Here, take the run of the litter," and it is like a smaller wolf. So John's is really the only wolf you see, like grow old in the show so you know it looks big obviously but like it is kind of like described differently like his is described as now in the book like clearly growing bigger than all the others mm. um i just thought that was an interesting point but you know so when john's walking away and ghost is following nymeria follows for a little bit that's Arya's wolf and, and before she's like oh we're going somewhere else and uh it it just like made me realize that like the wolves don't really hang too much in the books or the shows. Like, you know, Shaggy Dog and and, and Brand's Summer. wolf, Summer, are yeah. uh, together for a little bit. Um, but, yeah, the wolves, like, very quickly are split up. And I guess that's obviously because the Starks are split up. But it's mm-hmm. it really shows that they all kind of take different paths because you never see the wolves together after the initial, like, we found them all together, mm-hmm. which I thought was just kind of like a, 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 fun, little, a fun little fact. Um, also... About- when yeah. when Arya was describing uh, where she got the name Nymeria from, uh, you know she was she was talking about like in history and everything, and then she's talking about the uh, the Knights of the Kingsguard. I believe that was in this chapter. Or was that Brands? Uh, that's Brands um, in the next. Okay, but uh, we'll just say now. So when when he's describing the Knights of the Kingsguard, uh, they bring up they bring up um, what was it? It was. Sir Barristan. One of them, they bring up something in relation to uh, the uh, the House of the Dragons. Oh, uh, uh, the Dragon Knight, maybe? Aegon? Uh, I be- it was one of them. I forget which one it was. We'll find it later when we get mm-hmm. to it. But, but I thought that was an interesting point because you had brought up something that was a connection to uh, the House of the Dragons in a past episode. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fun to see them now, bringing that up now that we see the... Uh, the show itself and what they're talking about and oh it was it was talking about the history of the uh king's garden it was talking about the two twins oh yes that's it that's it you're right eric and eric yes Mm -hmm. who we've now seen in in house of the dragon who we who it says died by each other's hands in Mm -hmm. in this in this in that time era yep i um something so so now we go on to brand two is the next chapter uh the the there's a royal hunt going on rob and King Robert and Ned and Rob Stark and Joffrey and, you know, the Hound and some men at arms, Sir Roderick, they're all out hunting. Bran's getting ready to leave. You know, it, it's been a couple of days. It's, it's about to be, I believe it's the eve of when they're all to travel south. And this is something I really like about this chapter. You know, we talked about how this episode is going to be a little low key. You want to talk about a very relatable feeling. What Bran's dealing with right here is he's very excited to go south. He's so excited for all these adventures but it's just hitting him that he's going to be leaving home and that he's going to be sad to see Winterfell in his rearview mirror. And I really like that. 
it's the little kid moving away for the first time and he's mm-hmm. all excited and then he's like but what am I going to be missing out here like hey this was like my home for my whole life like it is a real like you see you see and you're like I can relate to like it's like when you go away to college and you're yep. pumped about it and you're like oh I'm gonna have a ton of fun and then you're like Oh, but I'm leaving all my friends behind in the town I've lived in for the first 18 years of my life. Something else important to note, uh, earlier I talked about how Ned Stark is a great second son. Uh, Bran Stark is also a great second son because Bran just wants to join the Kingsguard. He doesn't need any lands or titles or riches. He just wants to, you know, swear to be a knight. children and be a big knight. You know, he perfectly designed for it. Also, um, in this chapter, before we get to the stretch that's just uh, a long uh architectural observations and talk uh there's a lot of emphasis put on that bran uh has not named his wolf yet he's the only one who was not named as wolf so i would like to bring up that i think shaggy dog is the best name for any of the wolves yeah. i love shaggy dog shaggy Hilarious. Dog is a great name yeah it is ladies uh, a pretty Rickon's bad wolf. name ladies a pretty bad name. name and like uh, i'm Nymeria not is a cool name yeah um you know it's like eh what are you gonna do gray wind pretty generic name ghost cool name sure um cool i i forget i forget when he actually names him summer uh, i believe it's uh, like brand pretty sure when it's he when he wakes up, up yeah. and like the kid and like uh uh the wolf helps from when that robber goes to kill him um right and it's like i'm gonna have to do something with the great winter now anywho um Something I find interesting is, you know, in the show, they immediately, it literally, the first time we see Bran, he's climbing because it's when the King's procession comes and we get this whole visual of Bran climbing over to, to you know, see them over the hills and then they're getting closer. In the books, um, you know, it's mentioned once or twice already that Bran climbs. Um, I know when uh, Ned's like, or when um, Ned says Bran's going with him, Catelyn's like, make sure he doesn't climb in the capital and fall to his death. But... Bran just climbing all over Winterfell. Pretty badass. Yeah, I'm a bad climber. Pretty so athletic. I'm pretty, pretty athletic child. Yeah, I yeah. mean the way they describe what he's doing and the way he's like like climbing. Yeah, it's like parkour. <laughs> like he is like running and like jumping across building tops and like swinging from gargoyles. It's yeah. actually I actually have my my favorite piece of writing is is describing how he's climbing on one oh, of the pages. So we'll get to that later. Okay, but uh. But yeah, I, I thought a funny part of it was uh, like, you know, he's talking about doing all this cr- climbing to the top of like huge towers, like mm-hmm. 60 foot towers that no one is like willing to do. He's a seven year old child. And yet at the start of like where he wants to climb, he has to like go into the uh, garden where the heart tree is with the face on it. And he's like scared to be near the tree. And yet he's like climbing. He's climbing 60 foot towers, but he's scared of a face on a tree. Yeah, I thought that was funny. I uh, I also think it's funny that there's that, like, tower that just, they've been like, ah, yeah, it's been burnt and broken for a long time. No the one's broken even, tower. Yeah, yeah, no one's even bothered to try to, like, bro, you got some limited, what else do you have to do during, like, peaceful times and try to fix a tower, you know? Like, Ned. Well, all, the, all they do is Ned, Ned will once in a while send in people to bust up the rat nest. Yeah. That's, like, yeah. that's all they do in the tower. Are they not um, called ratters? Dude, I, is that what it says in there? I love that term. I remember ratters. something like, oh, Ned sends in some ratters or something like that. Um, I love when they, I do love when they describe like Bran has found all the secret tunnels and like mm-hmm. passageways and like you can go up this tunnel that goes up a ramp and you're from the first floor to all of a sudden 
across Winterfell on like the fourth floor. And then there's a Mm -hmm. bridge that goes to the second floor of a different tower. And it's like, this sounds like a cool ass jungle gym. Yeah. It sounds like a whole ordeal, you know? Um, Another part I found funny was when, uh, when it talks about how Bran, you know, always grew up climbing. His mom got all mad at him. His dad eventually is just like, whatever, dude, just don't fall and don't tell your mom. Mm -hmm. And Maester Lewin is like, all right, you want to see what happens when you climb? takes up makes a boy a mm-hmm. child out of pottery and chucks it off a building mm-hmm. and it's just like see that smash that is you and not only is that outrageous foreshadowing but also like a pretty crazy lesson to teach like a young child and then brain's like well i'm not made out of clay and it's like that doesn't matter dude it's same effect you know also kind of a kind of a witty comeback i think yeah. i enjoyed yeah. that comeback <laughs> uh, as uh Brand- but yeah i thought that was funny if Bran is climbing, he hears um, the sounds of passion and love. Uh, uh, we're ending. We're ending today's uh, uh, meeting at the small council the same way we began it with some some fiery romance. Um, I, they really like this. Is talk about building up suspense. The way that they like, you know, it's like Bran. Like they spend a good two pages. Like Brandon is hearing this conversation, but he can't get into position to see anything. And he can't figure out who's talking, which it's it's mm-hmm. like made pretty obvious to us. But again, he's a seven year old child, so you know he's listening to them talk about the king and like yeah. calling them. They're calling each other like brother and sister, but like he can't really put together who's talking. And uh, and we're like, oh shit, this is Cersei and Jamie, like sort of plotting about how this is going totally wrong. Like Ned's going to go be hand of the king. And that was like, not supposed to happen. Cersei's like, it should have been you. Jamie's like, I didn't want to do it. Cersei's like, I would have told Robert to make you hand of the king. If I thought Ned was like actually going to accept it. She thought Ned wouldn't accept it. Mm -hmm. So you start to see the real distrust that she has. And the Lannisters have for everyone else. She's like, she's like, Ned's going to come down there. And Robert's going to get get all going about, like, the good old days of war. And then there's going to be a war. And, like, the Lannisters are going to lose all their shit. Like, she is, like, super paranoid. Let me ask you something, Mike. It's it's a, a few books until Cersei Lannister becomes a point-of-view character. And people talk about our Cersei Lannister as the best point-of-view to read because of how it's ridiculously, like, out of the loop and, and dumb and kind of bad at plotting she is. A complaint and or observation from the fan base is that they think Cersei seems a lot smarter in these in this brief, you know, two page plotting before Bran sees her than she is later on. What do you feel about that? I would definitely agree with that. I actually had another note written down that, uh, you know, when she's when she's telling this to Jamie and like being very paranoid and whatnot and saying like, dude, this is like bad news for us. Like this is like we're going to lose some like power and influence from this because Ned is going to be with Rob and Robert's going to listen to Ned. And it's like, like no longer are the Lannisters going to be the first one in in, uh, Robert's ear. It's going to be Ned. And, uh, and so Jamie is like, you don't have to worry, you know, you don't have to worry. Like Ned only cares about honor and duty. 
um, he says, he says, give me an honorable en- uh, enemy rather than an ambitious one when he's talking about at least it's not like Littlefinger or Stannis because mm-hmm. those are going to be uh, those guys have like something to gain and will like try to gain that. He's saying like Ned's not going to do anything. He's just going to like do what his job is supposed to do. He's honorable. And uh, and Cersei, he's like, he's like, Ned, you know, Ned will never betray a king. And Cersei's like, Ned betrayed a king. Yeah. Ned was part of a rebellion, which is yeah. an interesting point because that never really gets brought up in all the like honor and duty stuff. It's like Ned was like part of a huge rebellion to overthrow a king, albeit a, a crazy king. But Who still, he family. Did, but the yeah, he did betray a king. The one thing that I think is funny though about that is that Ned and Stannis actually are are very similar. Like when Jamie call considers Stannis ambitious, and maybe uh, I think this is somewhat of a first bookism before. Um, George R. R. Martin had really developed the character, but like the only reason, and this is a big reason, Stannis the Manus has a giant supporting like class on the internet. And the big reason why is because Stannis doesn't even really want to be the king. He isn't ambitious. He has to be the king in his mind because he's supposed to be the king. Robert Stannis is legitimately in the War of the Five Kings the one true king. The only person that is true, yeah, like has a legitimate claim besides him is Daenerys. If she wants to say, you know, well, my father lost his claim from rebellion, sure, she could go fight for the clone. But Stannis, like that, Stannis's whole thing is he's like, no, like, like he's a believer in all this stuff. Like, like, no, 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 like the like Joffrey, bad things are going to happen to the kingdom. Because the person who is not supposed to be king is king. That's how gods and magic work. Like he actually thinks, yeah. that, you know what I mean? He he is a big honor guy and and duty guy, and he he is. You're right. He is very similar to uh to Ned in that respect. And they do kind of not bond over that, but they yeah. kind of join forces to an extent. Like they kind of start to plan together when everything goes down and Robert's dying. Uh, they kind of start to come together and they're like, what are we going to do here? And like, we need to make you king. Like this needs to happen or else shit's going down. Well, some of that I think is Renly. I'm not sure if um, Stannis appears until book two. I'm not positive, but I know that Stannis, like Stan, I mean, he says that to Catelyn Stark when Catelyn visits him is like, oh, like my whole claim is because you're husband. Ned, like Ned killed himself right in that letter where it was like Stannis is act like, like he tells people, like, no, 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 like it is Stannis. Like it is not these are bastards. That all comes from Ned. Right. That's that to Stannis. And then Stannis blasts that out to the whole kingdom, you know? So like that's the big thing is I don't think He spills the tea to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And then um what's funny to me though is that uh something I love from a writing standpoint in this chapter is that they never say the word Cersei or Jamie or Lannister. Uh, the word queen comes up one time. As you said, it mm-hmm. becomes pretty clear to us, the reader, that it's Jamie and Cersei in there. When Bran finally gets in a position to look, he can't make out who it is at first because they're like covering each other. And then it just says like the queen, like when she screams, that yeah. identifies her. And then even after that, it just keeps saying he and she, referring to like the man, referring so, to Jamie Lannister. So it. And and he knows who they are. It, but like mm-hmm. this goes back to what we were talking about in a previous episode. I think the first one where we were saying that like George R. R. Martin's not gonna give you like all the answers. Like this is like kind of an obvious one, but even like would we have 
understood it exactly as well as we do now if we hadn't watched the show first and it was much more obvious like you have to pay attention to these things he's putting in here and kind of figure out what's going on yourself because he's never going to explicitly say that was Cersei you know Bran looks in and sees Jamie and Cersei and they're the you know so you know there's so many important little details that you have to kind of like pay attention and and really like you know store in your brain when you're when you're reading uh, the Song of Ice and Fire books. And I think that makes it a cooler reading experience because, you know, you, you're kind of, you know, you're taking notes the way we've been doing for mm-hmm. the podcast has helped me a lot, like understand it and rereading it for the second time. Just get more out of it. Is this the first, last, and only time we see Jamie and Cersei together when Jamie really has any or all, like, power in the in the dynamic? Um, at least sexually i feel like i you know everything after this he's you know not a yeah the next time yeah i mean it's it it quickly changes from Mm -hmm. from like jamie being this like gallant like everyone looks at him as like that's that's a kingly guy and then it it takes a quick turn once Mm -hmm. you know once we get into like book two and whatnot and 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 his storyline starts to really develop um and he changes as a person all right. But, yeah, want, I would say so. Do we want to jump into our uh, prince and or princess who was promised our MVPs of the chapters? Uh, yeah. Okay. So as we said earlier, as much as it hate, I hate to do it. Mm-hmm. I got to give it to Joff. Yeah. Because he really I, I got under that. my man Rob's skin, and I love mm-hmm. Rob. Rob is one of my favorite characters. I know he's one of yours too. And and Joff gets him, man. I mean, there's he even that him. part. There's even that part when Joff isn't even there when Arya's like, "I hear he looks like a girl." That's what John says, and Sansa goes, "Poor John, yeah. he needs to be jealous as he's but a bastard." And it's like, oh, oh, that is man. something I forgot. I forgot to say is like Sansa. You can see is like Sansa doesn't really fuck with John. Yeah. She's like kind of like her mom. She's just like, oh, he's a bastard." Like he's kind of like he's not really my brother. She's yeah, like, "He's yeah. my half brother." Like not yeah. brother. Don't call him brother. Yeah, makes so, a uh, show with that. But yeah, you can see like John's a little like jealous mm. there, I guess you would call it. So Joffrey gets under everyone's skin. And uh, as much as I hate to give it to him, I got to give him the MVP on this. Uh, I respect on this that. chapter. I personally, I went with my MVP uh, by Prince who was promised was uh, Bran Stark simply because uh, in the first chapter, Catelyn's, he seems like, you know, a. Uh, uh, like the prince who was promised literally because she's like no not my bran take any or all of my children just leave me bran and it's like all right dude like you have other kids like like you know well, what is it about bran and then this dude's this dude's like the spider-man of winterfell granted he may have died badass little you know. kid yeah dude, it's like you said you really did a good job of, of like emphasizing that it's like he's not climbing he's like swinging from from things and like landing on top of things perched and you know he's basically doing all that stuff that we said Tyrion does uh with the with the gymnastics you know well i think i think you saying that uh opens up my favorite piece of writing from these chapters so i guess we mm-hmm. can jump into that next oh, the so grand maester chevlet award 68. Yes, the Grand Master Shibadabidu. So I'm on page 68. This is Bran's mm-hmm. chapter. It's about halfway down. And this is when he's describing the best ways to get up to the Broken Tower, which is mm-hmm. his favorite place to climb. The most dangerous place, obviously. And so he says, the best way was to start from the God's Wood. Shinny up the tall sentinel 
and cross over to the armory and the guard's hall, leaping roof to roof barefoot so the guards wouldn't hear you overhead. That brought you up to the blind side of the first keep, the oldest part of the castle, a squat round fortress that was taller than it looked. Only rats and spiders lived here now, but the old stones still made for good climbing. You could go straight up to where the gargoyles leaned out blindly over empty space and swing from gargoyle to gargoyle, hand over hand, around to the north side. From there, if you really stretched, you could reach out and pull yourself over to the broken tower where it leaned close. The last part was the scramble up the blackened stones to the to the eerie, no more than 10 feet, and then the crows would come round to see if you'd brought any corn. So I, I, first of all, I think it's hilarious that every time he's doing this, he brings like a pocket full of corn to give to the crows that only he knows because no one else climbs up there. Yeah. And uh, I, I just love that piece of writing because it, it really demonstrates like what we were talking about, about like how crazy and like fearless of a young seven-year-old like child Bran is where he's just like, he has this whole thing mapped out. He's like figured out, he knows like, it seems like he knows his way around Winterfell better than most people. And he has a whole plan for how to climb up this tower that he apparently climbs up like all the time. Mm-hmm. Also, so I uh, really like the way they described that. I think it was really neat. Also, a lot of credit to George R. R. Martin for clearly having like such a visual grasp on the castle that he created of Winterfell that he can like lay all that out from different angles and stuff. I mean, that's that had to yeah. I, a, I a pictured him doing this in my mm-hmm. head like it was a movie. You know what yeah. I mean? Like watching, I'm like watching him swing from gargoyle to gargoyle and then reaching out for the last bit to get to the tower and climb up and find these crows and give them corn. Like I can, I can picture it in my head because of how vividly it's described over like multiple pages. So um, I, I actually think that's great because there's going to be a pretty good duality to our uh, Grand Maester Shevlethin awards uh, because mine is like also just tipping the cap to George R. R. Martin, but in a very different way. Uh, mine comes on page 65 in Aureo one. Um, and, it, and it's kind of a little bit of a ping ponging here. It's like part of the front of this and then part at the back that I really like. Joffrey likes your sister. Jane whispered, proud, as if she had anything to, uh, if she had something to do with it. She was the daughter of Winterfell Stewart and Sansa's dearest friend. He told her she was very beautiful. He's going to marry her, little Beth said dreamingly, hugging herself. Then Sansa will be queen of all the realm. Sansa had the grace to blush. She blushed prettily. She did everything prettily. Arya thought with dull resentment. Beth, you shouldn't make up stories, Sansa corrected the younger girl, gently stroking her hair to take the harshness out of her words. She looked at Arya. What did you think of Prince Joff, sister? He's very gallant, don't you think? John says he looks like a girl, Arya said. Sansa sighed as she stitched. Poor John, she said. He gets jealous because he's a bastard. I just love, like, the it, it's, it's two parts, really, that I really like. Is like when it, Jen... When Jane Poole says, like, oh, uh, he likes your sister. And it says, she said as if she had something to do with it. That's just so grabbing the sort of sycophantic nature that those two have with Sansa. How Jane Poole, it's like, oh, I'm Sansa Stark's friend. That's going to be her whole life. You know what I mean? She's right, exactly. She's daughter. That's what she has is being Sansa Stark's friend. You know, it's almost like some of these girls who, like, got famous or Instagram famous off of like being friends with Kendall or Kylie Jenner from growing up. It's like her whole identity, her claim to fame, her only hope at having some semblance of a decent life is clinging to Sansa. And then that part where it's like, 
Sansa blushes and it's like, oh, she knew to blush as if it wasn't a natural reaction. And it's just a sign of how perfect Sansa is. And then the way she tells Beth, like, oh, no, 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 Beth, like we shouldn't like, don't, don't, don't be talking of such grand things already. And then she strokes Beth's hair so that even though she's telling Beth, no, it's not coming off as like mean or negative. Like it's just like George R. R. Martin packed so much little details that affect so much of these characterizations in such few words well and he's backing up what uh catelyn says in the chapter before where she's like oh you know mm -hmm. sansa will do great in the southern courts like that is exactly why like mm -hmm. she she knows exactly how to act in like a number of situations and knows how to be in like a leadership role if you will like mm -hmm. she would make a good queen in mm -hmm. that sense of like she knows how to like treat people that are below her without like completely like ragging on him when she wants to you know what i mean mm -hmm. in the way she strokes best hair and she's like no no but like yeah you know she's she's a, she's great with like modesty and false modesty and compliment you know she's right. great playing those little games and i think george just does a phenomenal job of highlighting all that in a very small amount of words and now uh much like the men of robert baratheon's youth it is time for us to make the eight. Unlike Robert Baratheon, we are not about to sleep with one woman from each of the Seven Kingdoms and the Riverlands. We are going to give you eight observations, eight facts, eight pieces of trivia, eight things from this chapter uh, that re-branch out into the greater Song of Ice and Fire lore. Mikey, do you want to go first or do you want me to? Uh, I'll go for Do you want to go back and forth or do you want to do four and four? How do you want to go? Uh, let's go back and forth. Let's ping pong it. All right. So I got an interesting one on page 55, which we may have different, we may have different page setups because I, I've got a hard copy and I, okay. I noticed that we were on different parts earlier, but uh, on page 55 for me in the hard copy, um, Catelyn is reflecting about, uh, about John being brought home as a bastard of, of Ned's uh, from war. And uh, she's talking about how he'll never, Rob will never, or, Ned will never speak of who the mother was, uh, but there's whispers that it was uh, that it was Ashara Dane, uh, the sword of the morning's uh, sister. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that she was described as fair with violet eyes, which is a very similar description to uh, our Targaryen princess Daenerys. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting little connection there that made me think maybe I should be paying attention to this because mm -hmm. as we know, these things get brought back up later. And it seems like a minor detail, but like the like violet eyes are like not a normal yep. You're very trait right. for anyone to have. Ashura Dane is in a lot of theories and like, uh, you know, speculations and stuff. Um, she She's a very... For like a character that there's not much known about, she's a very heavily speculated figure. People think she might, because I don't know where this appears in the text. I believe in a later Sir Barristan uh, chapter, actually, now that I think about it, Barristan had a crush on her back in the day at one point. Mm. She was, you know, one of those, you know, her and Elia Martell and, uh, and Cersei Lannister and Lyanna Stark. They were like the beauties of their day. You know, those were the sought after women you know the marjorie and the sansa of the present story right so i thought that was like a cool little uh yeah. a cool little part that i'm definitely going to pay attention mm -hmm. to as i keep rereading because like you said it, it might get mentioned later on and mm -hmm. that, that stuff that now knowing more you know you can kind of stow away for later 
a good observation by you. For my pe first piece of the eight, I'm going to talk a little bit about Princess Nymeria, the character that uh, the dire wolf is named after. So uh, Princess Nymeria was the princess of the Rhinor, which is one of the three major ethnicities that, and the one that is only mentioned in the books and actually always gets left off of the title in the shows for some reason. Uh, there's the first men who are basically like Caucasian Native Americans or like, you know, Vikings in that sense. They were like the first people in there, all that. The Andals are kind of like your step in for like the European settlers. You know, they came from Essos. They kind of came in with the better medieval technology and all that. And then the Rhinor were from these riverlands. They got overran uh, by the Valerian Freehold. And Princess Nymeria famously took 10,000 ships and led her people. She's a very, like, Cleopatra figure where she was, like, a woman leader in a time where that didn't really exist. And she, like, her people tried to sail from one, like, little island to the next. They stopped in the Basilisk Islands, I know. I believe they went to the Summer Isles. And, like, they were just getting picked off by, like, slavers and natives. Like, people knew they were vulnerable. They knew they were looking for a home. They were taking advantage of her people. I'm sorry, of her people, not of her. Eventually, she got her people and those 10,000 ships to land into Dorne. Dorne is where the Rhinor settled, and basically the Rhinor became the Dornishmen and the Dornish women, which is, Princess Nymeria is a big reason why in Dorne, you know, uh, uh, women have more rights than in the rest of the, the Seven Kingdoms, where women can inherit their, their father's titles and all that. A firstborn girl is just as valuable as a firstborn daughter. Very nice. Very nice. I do like that you bring in the history that don't mm -hmm. really come in 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 the books because you've read mm -hmm. some of the um, the extra texts that uh, George R. R. Martin has has written. So that's some cool little insight there um, because they do talk a lot about like they mm -hmm. mention cool little things and you're like, I would like to hear the history of that. And it just never really gets revisited mm -hmm. besides in like small mentions. Yep. Um, so my second one uh is on page 50 for me again we're still in catlin um and she is uh talking to ned about you know him going and becoming uh hand of the king and she's again like remembering that when they found this dead direwolf it had a uh, a stag's antler in its neck so mm -hmm. back to that foreshadowing point and something you know the sign thing and that's now she's feeling the little northern superstition in her a little bit and she's like that like this feels like a bad omen to me i don't feel comfortable about this and now i'm staying here you're bringing half the children down there like you can see where she's getting a little uh nervous herself as a mother mm -hmm. and a and a wife that uh something's going to go wrong and it's again going back to that dire wolf with the antler in its neck the sigil of of the stark you know killed by the sigil of the baratheons so mm. I like the foreshadowing that they do there. And uh, he does it a lot more than I even realized, you know, yeah. in my second read through. Um, that's very good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, for my next piece of trivia, I have the glass garden, which gets mentioned in Catelyn 2. Uh, she talks about, you know, the, uh, what we mentioned at the beginning of this whole podcast, how there are natural hot springs in Winterfell, how that can mean the difference between life and death during the winter. And she talks about how uh, the hot springs are what allow the glass garden to produce them vegetables year round. The glass garden is a greenhouse uh, technology that should not be around back then, but, you know, is available because of this hot spring. What a value that greenhouse must be in the north and specifically being inside of Winterfell. If they're ever being sieged, that's another reason why Winterfell would be a tough place to siege. They also, can grow food. 
Yep. Also, uh, two other big things, uh, as it is mentioned in this episode, a mirror lens is very valuable because, you know, glass has to come all the way from lice. How expensive do you think an entire greenhouse made of this stuff? You know, all that glass, like that's going back to something I mentioned last episode. The Starks are rich folks. I know that, you know, we like to think of them as being, you know, grubby and, and dirty and dark and damp. Starks have money. They got power, baby. And they got a whole glass garden until that bastard Ramsey Snow, he smashes it during the sack of Winterfell when he tricks Theon, when he captures Theon. It's specifically mentioned when Bran escapes from the ruins with Asha and Hodor uh, and the reeds that the glass garden has been smashed, that it was destroyed. And that has to be a bitch to repair, a great sign of how short-sighted Ramsey is. He he could have been enjoying fresh, fresh produce and vegetables all winter long if he had thought a little long game, you know? Oh, I cannot wait to get to Ramsey. He is yeah. a crazy man. Yeah. Um, all, right. all right, cool. For you. So my next one, uh, we're going, I'm sticking in Catlin. I got a lot from this one. We're mm-hmm. talking about Maester Lewin again, a good character. Um, and not only does he have weird items in his sleeves, but he also, as all Maesters do, has this like long uh linked chain necklace that all the links are made of like uh you know different metals and i don't think they really mention it here they might mention it later on when when you know we get to uh where where the maesters are trained but each different link of different metal is represented um represents a different like study that they have like mastered you know what i mean so there's like gold and silver and platinum links and they all mean that this maester has mastered whatever area of study so that's like another little cool thing about the maester so like pretty interesting in 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 this uh in this world they're uh like super knowledgeable about a ton of different shit and you can tell which maester knows what based off of this chain that they have around their neck george r R. martin did a great job developing the maesters the maesters definitely have the most intricate society in westeros there is also a grand conspiracy of the maesters working together to rob the world of magic, which we will get to in a later episode. Um, I, for my third piece of the eight, uh, or I guess, you know, it'd be the, the sixth piece at this point, I am going with uh, the Aria and John foreshadowing going into book one, uh, George R. R. Martin planned for John Snow and Arya Stark to end up as a, in a relationship together. They are not actual brother and sister potentially as we we may know from the the tv show so it's not nearly as weird as it seems you know they're they're like distant cousins half cousins maybe even um but you know there's a ton of here's a little hint for you guys the the stories are called a song of ice and fire ice and fire big theme of all this the starks and the targaryens you know what i mean if john's a, a targaryen and Arya is this the starkiest looking Stark, you know what I mean? Suddenly, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Uh, I'm pretty happy that seemingly George R. R. Morton has left this long behind. I don't need John and and Arya to sleep together. Uh, it's just not something I need personally. What if- uh, no, in in the show they got her together with another odd match who seemed yeah. too old for her, so they yeah. they still got around to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Um. So my last one also, and I finally found the page of it, was something we mentioned earlier, uh, was another another reference to uh, to um, the House of Dragon. And I found it. It's on page 65 in Brand's chapter. 
when he is discussing all of the uh, the famous um, mm-hmm. Kingsguard because he wants to be a knight, wants to be in the Kingsguard. That's like his whole thing as a young child. And he mentions the twins, Sir Eric and Eric, uh, who died on one another's swords hundreds of years ago when brother fought sister in the war the singers called the Dance of the Dragons, which honestly – I love this part because it kind of just hyped me up to see the next season of uh, House of Dragon, which I know is mm-hmm. like two years away. But um, it's it's a it, it just reminded me of how exciting that first season was, mm-hmm. and how much you see like this is like another just families are going at it for control of the kingdom and and looking for the claim. And it's like this seems like this world of Westeros, it's constantly people saying i have the rightful claim to the king and mm-hmm. it should be like a much simpler like well by your laws this person does yeah but it's like constant strife about it also i love that clearly um george just like wrote this cool name the dance of dragons and later decided to make it this big thing because the dance of dragons did not happen hundreds of years the, the targaryens hardly lasted as a dynasty for hundreds of years i think the whole thing was like 200 something you know what i mean like like yeah Dance of dragons was like 140 years ago maybe um from from the beginning of the show spitballing um maybe even less actually no he, he also names one of his later books the a dance of dragons yeah yeah he clearly likes that title um before I get to my last piece of eight, uh, because my last piece of eight actually ties into our hypothetical and our end discussion point, there was something that I, I had written down that I wanted to bring up, and I think it kind of goes well since you just talked about House of the Dragons. Clearly, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, Dash of Game of Thrones, is becoming a big, big, like, like with the success of A House of Dragons, like, there's going to be a cinematic universe now. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, going to keep... You know, there's those rumors of that Jon Snow sequel series, stuff like that. Like, clearly, a Game of Thrones is going to go the Star Wars Marvel route. That said, famously, a Game of Thrones, the actual show, had a final season that people despised. Our culture is obsessed with remakes. They're obviously, at some point in our lifetime, probably not for 20 years or so, but in our lifetime, there is going to be a new series called probably a song of ice and fire that is a game of thrones over again you know what i mean you following me so far yeah i hear you how do you end the first episode because they Mm. nailed that out of the park with brand falling ending that first episode i don't think you can rip that off that spot to spot and you could technically end it in other places because there's all those chapters to work with what do you think well i think i think personally Mm-hmm. With the way we've talked about how George R. R. Martin writes, and even like you just mentioned, a really good point, just saying, I think he just thought of this name, A Dance of Dragons, that sounds cool and figured it out later. Mm-hmm. He, there's like a lot of that in here. Mm-hmm. That it, and, and this is just like, we're only like 70 pages into the book. There's already so many things that I'm like, oh, I'd love for him to elaborate on later mm-hmm. uh, that he doesn't even need to go into the future and make sequels to. He can do you know, they can build entire series as they're doing now based yeah. off of just little mentions of stuff from the books that they can build a whole a whole multi-season series, mm. uh, spin-off books about. Like, they, you know, this could go on forever just based off of little things like saying Dance of Dragons. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is a whole new story that is just, like, different from A Song of Ice and Fire. So uh, 
I don't know if they'll do a remake. It would be interesting. I don't know where you end because, like I said, I thought that line from Jamie is such like yeah. like a killer fucking like send off to it to a premiere for a series. Just being like the things I do for love as I throw a child out the window, like that is insane. How do you beat that? That is a tough. That is a tough follow up. I think the only way to differentiate your pilot from their pilot and do it right. Is to give our man way more Royce, some uh, Raymar Royce, some some justice at the beginning. I want a full twenty oh, minute. Man. I want a full twenty minutes of him investigating those bodies, baby. Maybe that's the whole show. Maybe he lives. He's Jon Snow now. That's how you do it. Uh, listen, <laughs> argue arguably he would have done a better job than Jon. Yeah, he wouldn't have let all the wildlings pass and gotten stabbed in the back for treachery. I bet. You, I guarantee you that. Didn't uh, like. The yeah, I mean, he was. He, he was a young man ranging ranging uh beyond the wall before John even thought about joining the Night's Watch. Um, so to go into my last piece of the eight, which will transition into our ending hypothetical, I wanted to give you guys uh just some hit information, some little tidbits of some of the other great castles of Westeros that I happen to know, uh, because you know, in this brand chapter and in the Catlin chapter, honestly, too. Honestly, I'm killing myself now, Mikey. A really good podcaster would have named the castle of Winterfell, the prince that was promised for this chapter, because it was the main character. Oh yeah, yeah, we missed that out. Is on an ab- that's an abstract way. We may have to that's, think that's of that's how you win the podcast. way they called it a living thing. That's the they way you win podcast thing. awards. That's the way you win podcast awards. Being like the castle was the MVP. We got to think of that next time. Yes. Um, but you know, we get all these cool information about Winterfell. So I, I have some info on some other castles that I want to hit about. A very fun fact is uh, apparently every great castle is impenetrable, which I guess every in ca- uh, castle is until it's been penetrated. To quote the great sellsword sure. Braun, give me three good men and I'll impregnate the bitch. Um, Winterfell, they're just like, oh, well, the walls. You can't get through Winterfell's walls. That's all good and dandy. So we got River Run, the Tully Castle. That is in between three rivers. So again, like, how are you going to penetrate that at any point? They can just pull up their drawbridges. They're very safe inside that castle. Up next, we have Casterly Rock. Casterly Rock is literally a rock. People don't get that. They There was a giant mountain with a giant gold mine in it, and they just built a castle into the rock. You know what I'm saying? George R. R. Martin actually dropped a uh, a whole blog recently called The Two Rocks about how impregnable uh casterly rock is why he did that probably because Aegon uh the fifth or sixth is going to capture it soon in the books in the modern timeline but there you have it casterly rock built into the side of a mountain has gold mines inside of it up next we have high garden uh don't have much info for you on high garden just that it's very beautiful think of it like the hanging gardens of babylon it's like a wonder of the world which takes us and where i'm going to end things uh is is the eerie in um uh well yeah it's just called the eerie inside the veil yeah it's always confusing because they go back and forth between calling it the veil and the eerie and the veil of Aaron mm-hmm. the eerie so the eerie is actually the newest of these castles because the gates of the moon originally was the Aaron's castle until a Lord Aaron went around to the other seven kingdoms and was like wait a minute these guys have way better castles than us we need something way cooler. They built the Eyrie, which is the smallest of the castles in terms of, like, livable space, but it is literally impregnable, besides on Dragonback, which happened during the Conqueror's War. Um, There's 
like two ways to en- enter the Eerie. There is the gates, the bloody gate, which is just a single small hole that is incredibly easy to defend. Um, or there are like little handholds and you have to like climb up the side of it one by one. So again, very hard castle uh, to invade. Fun fact about the Eerie, it gets so cold during winter, though, that the Aarons have to go back to their old castle at the base of the mountain, the Gates of the Moon, uh, to not freeze to death. Bam. Oh, sorry. One Bam. last thing. Uh, Storms and the Baratheon's castles also never been impregnated. And the reason why is that it supposedly has magical walls because Storms End was built by Bran the Builder. How he went from the north down there to build a whole ass castle with magic walls, I don't know. But that's a fact. Bam. So I want to, honestly, speaking of spinoffs and stuff, I want to mm-hmm. brand the Builder spinoff. That dude sounds like Johnny Apple. The wall. Yeah. He sounds awesome. He's just walking so, around uh, like, doing great things. Right. So our hypothetical. Yes. So, uh, it's So which castle would you want to live in, correct? That's what we're doing here? Yes. How so, would you? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Yeah. So I, th- you know it's good that you ended with the eerie cause that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's depicted really awesome in the show, uh, mm-hmm. in the book. It's, it's also like really described like you, like you said, like there's like one way in or you can like climb up it and there's like a little path even to get to the one way in. It's just like a super, super safe seeming castle to mm-hmm. be inside of. And also like seems pretty badass to watch your enemies try and like scale up as you're like, chucking rocks down at them like you are not getting up here i'm a big fan of it it's like super beautiful the way they shoot it in the show Mm -hmm. uh up on the mountain i love the moon door that -hmm. they have in it so that's my favorite castle personally uh castle rock the way you just described it i did not know it was like necessarily built into it sounds like a cave castle which like seems pretty cool honestly which also doesn't Um, sound very lannistery like it doesn't sound very does it yeah right but they the gold's in there, so I guess yeah. that's what they care about. So, uh, so that's probably my number two. I think that's where I would go. I would go Erie and then uh, Casterly Rock. How about you? So I'm going uh, with like kind of the easy way out here. I think there's a lot of things, a lot of wars, a lot of struggles that could have been avoided in Westeros. I'm going with High Garden because it's like rich as shit. It's beautiful and it's just like over. It's beautiful weather. It's got like fountains and pools and gardens, and then it's just like overlooking wheat fields and and hills full of happy farming people in their villages. Robert Baratheon says there's like a field of a thousand roses outside, and I'm just not going to be an idiot. It's still a great castle. Like it's going to be hard as shit to sure. read. I'm just not going to start shit. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to mind my own business. Hang out down south. I'm going to call on some Arbor Reds. You know, I'm the Lord of High Garden. I'm, I'm overseeing the Reach. Send me some Arbor Reds from, from the Arbor. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to get fat and drunk in the nice heat, get gout and die a happy man. Look at flowers all day. Yeah, there you go. It's a nice castle. It'd be a yeah. nice place to live. It sounds like it's funny because it's that's such a like uh, a stark uh, comparison, Stark, to uh, Winterfell. Yeah. Um, where it's like looked at as dreary and it's always yeah. snowy and it's like tough to just live. Mm-hmm. And it's like High Garden sounds like a great place to just like hang out all I the time. I would say and like, I like not want to get in a fight with anyone. If I was building my castle, I would like love to own a castle at like one of those incredibly important defense points like the twins or Moat Kalen or the Gold Tooth, where it's like 
Like the whole thing about the twins is there's the swamp where Grey Water watches. And then like, once you get to lands, you have to cross the bridge at the twins to get from the North to the Riverlands and the Vale. So like to be able to, like, hold, yeah. yeah, to like be able to hold something down like that and to kind of do the opposite of what I just said I do with the, with the reach and to just be like starting problems and be like, nah, man, like give me my toll. I want, I want some gold, baby. Like, what are you going to do? Invade that's me? that's what Walter Frey does though. And it, and it yeah. brings a lot of issues. It is like the major storyline of yeah. like book two is yeah. like, is like, how are we crossing this? And what does that lead to? So, uh, yeah, great point. I mean, that is the exact opposite of what you said originally yeah. that you would do. And it's like, let's get really in the mix and Dude, make everyone hate us. There's a great line in the show uh, during like the, the whole episode where they meet Walter Frey for the first time, where Catelyn, where they're like debating what to do. And Catelyn Stark goes like, the Freys have held the crossing for hundreds of years. They have never failed to extract the toll. It sounds like it makes Walter Frey sound like he's like a magical troll man. You know what I mean? It's like he kind of is. He sort of. Yeah. I mean, dude, have you ever when we get all, you know, we're wrapping up the podcast here. Thank you guys for joining us. When we get off here, Mike, look up a picture like artwork of Walter Frey, like from the books. It is hysterically grotesque. Vile. Oh, yeah. yeah. He looks like a he, wax he is candle that's melted. He is described as a disgusting human. Yeah. All right, guys, think this was a great one. Thank you for joining us as always. Uh, Mike, say your farewells. Whisper something to, to your little birds for us. Oh, my little birds. Is that what we're calling the people who listen to our show? I kind of like that. Um, I call them the small folk, uh, but I think you – well, that's the thing. It's like if I'm the king and you're the master of whispers, they're your little birds. They're my small folk, I guess. I guess we each, like, have our fan names, you know? I think we can go with that. Um, this has been fun. This is our third episode, so uh... – We'll see where we go with the next chapters. I kind of got to look ahead and see see what's coming up next. Do you remember off the top of your head? Um, I know Tyrion 1 is the very next chapter. I do yeah. not know exactly which ones come after that. So we'll have to look. Uh, uh, so that'll be fun to get into Tyrion because he's, yeah. he's a cool character. So uh, this I imagine we might uh, hit we'll Danny soon again. Um, I know John and Ned yeah. and stuff coming up. So, yeah, we'll see you guys uh, next week. All right. Thanks for joining us as always. Right. Rate, comment, subscribe, recommend to a friend. Right on.